Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. With supply chains becoming more complex, you need to stay on top of the latest logistics developments. So if you work with logistics, you need the Beyond the Box podcast from Maersk. It's the easy way to keep up to date with everything from digital disruption in logistics to the need for supply chain resilience in today's market. Find out more and keep ahead of the game with the Beyond the Box podcast on logistics insights at maersk.com insights. I do believe that the global supply chain was becoming less global before the Russian invasion. But the Russian invasion really crystallized it for the business community that the way of doing business pre-COVID, the just-in-time supply chain, single points of production, and just-in-time sourcing, it just isn't going to work anymore. This is Tom Fox, and that was Mike Walsh, who, together with David Simon, both attorneys at Foley and Lardner, joined me for a special two-part exploration of the disruption to the global supply chain and why the global supply chain will never be the same. This is a significant issue. I know you will enjoy it, and I know you'll get a lot out of it going forward. In part one, we take a look at the changes the Russian invasion of Ukraine brought to the global supply chain. We're going to have a quick word from our sponsor, and we'll be right back with Mike Walsh and David Simon. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care, and we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it, all while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox back for another episode. And you're in for a treat today because I'm in for a treat today. You, I have two guests from Foley and Lardner. First of all, David Simon, longtime podcast participant on his own show, A Yank in Oxford, but first-time participant, Mike Walsh. Gents, first of all, welcome. Thanks, Tom. Good to be with you. We are going to talk about an article they wrote entitled Managing Supply Chain Disruption in an Era of Geopolitical Risk. But before we get to that, for our listeners who don't know Mike and or David, Mike, could you tell us your areas of specialty? Sure. My areas of specialty are the Committee on Foreign Investment in the United States, which covers all foreign direct investment in the United States. I also advise on compliance, the applicability of sanctions to certain lines of business, and also the Uyghur Forced Labor Protection Act, which was passed last December, but came into effect this June. And in a nutshell, I try to help companies with international operations seeking to do business in the U.S. and vice versa, comply with the various regulatory and national security issues that are associated with and now integral to that line of business. 
And David, listeners to this podcast will certainly recognize you for your FCPA background and expertise, but your remit is actually broader than that. Can you tell us what are some of your other areas of interest and or specialty? Yeah, generally, Tom, my practice is cross-border, global, international compliance, investigations, and enforcement defense. Mike and I have worked together on a lot of these sort of regulatory challenges that cross between different substantive areas. And as you, since I've been doing my executive MBA, I've been dabbling in all kinds of different areas where I probably don't belong. So one of the reasons I wanted to visit with you guys is that I posit that the Russian invasion changed business forever in five key areas, one of which was supply chain. It did not start with a Russian invasion. It was factors that had been percolating along up until 2020. COVID pandemic hit, and then they accelerated exponentially. And it seemed to me the Russian invasion put an exclamation mark on those. But I wanted to maybe start with the question of why this article, why now, and why do you guys see the Russian invasion as such a critical watershed event? Sure. I'm more than happy to start with that. And Tom, I couldn't agree with you more. I do believe that the global supply chain was becoming less global before the Russian invasion. But the Russian invasion really crystallized it for the business community that the way of doing business pre-COVID, the just-in-time supply chain, single points of production, and just-in-time sourcing, it just isn't going to work anymore. And I think the reason why I think, first of all, COVID showed that over-reliance on single sources was something that was dangerous because if that single source could no longer produce, whether due to a COVID lockdown or anything, that is something that was not easily or even difficultly replaced in the, in the near term. The second piece of this is I think that what we learned from the Russian invasion is that multilateral sanctions and export controls not only work, they seem to work well, and they are the preferred playbook going forward for government in times of international conflict. They are they don't involve shooting guns and it appears that U.S. businesses and European businesses impacted by the sanctions complied very quickly and pulled up stakes and got out of Russia. So there's no reason business to believe that in the event of a new geopolitical conflict, the same playbook wouldn't be run. So I think there's a the business community is now sensitized, it is now aware, and it is now making changes in light of what is the new economic reality. David? Yeah, I agree with everything Mike said. Really, our sort of global business community has been educated pretty effectively by the sort of one-two punch of COVID and the Russia invasion of Ukraine. I think COVID it probably was more impactful on the global supply chain. I think I think it touched almost every company in pretty profound ways. I think there might have been some risk of complacency coming out of that, saying it was a pandemic and we're through it and don't need to worry about it. And Russia may have done the community a favor by reminding them of the vulnerability of the global supply chain and you know, the importance of thinking 
beyond commercial, considering things beyond commercial considerations and determining what the supply chain looks like. And so I think I think we've really had an opportunity to learn some lessons. And I know we're going to talk about China quite a bit as we go forward, but to me, this is all preseason for the big game, which is... Yeah, couldn't agree with you more on that, David. Let me split the word geopolitics into geography and politics. And one of the lessons I learned from COVID is I had typically not focused on geography as a risk. Certainly, countries could be high risk, corruption, money laundering, etc. But we had, with COVID, wide swaths of the world become unavailable to our supply chains, geographic locations, because of the impact of COVID. And even in the variant, which unfortunately got named the South African variant, and it was just a variant that started there, or at least was first identified in South Africa, that impacted supply chains again. And now we're seeing some massive shutdowns and really not because of the politics, but because of the geography. I was wondering if I could get your thoughts on really how we've now had to start thinking about geography itself as a risk. And you want to start with that, Mike? Sure. I think geography is very important because, you know, quite simply, China is far away from where we are now. And so if there are lockdowns, if there are transportation snarls, there's more of the opportunity to, there, there are many more places where your goods cannot get from point A to point B. And I think we saw at the beginning of COVID and still extending into today, this greater push for, it used to be called reshoring. Now I think it's called building up the, the domestic manufacturing base. It used to be called nearshoring when we would talk about Mexico or Canada or Central and South America. Now, I believe everyone is calling it friend, but the need to have the things that business needs close to the United States is has become quite apparent. And I think that the geography is tremendously important. And I think that will be a tremendous boon, not only for rebuilding the domestic manufacturing base in the United States, which I think the biggest example of that is the passage of the CHIPS Act, which has billions and billions of dollars to bring the chip making industry back here to the United States. But I think that will also have benefits in Canada, in Mexico, and in Central and South America. And so I think that with the renewed focus on bringing things closer to us, bringing production closer to us, that is an economic boom for the Western hemisphere. And I think it is going to be extremely important for businesses to think about for the next at least five, if not 10 years or thereafter. David, let me pick pick up on this and put a twist on it for you, David. Years ago, I had a pod, you and I on a podcast, and we talked about Foley as a Midwestern law firm and Foley having a large manufacturing base in the Midwest. And you guys actually tailoring an FCPA tool for your manufacturing base. And so I wanted to use that as an example or maybe as an entree to ask, has the U.S. manufacturing base in the central part of the country, in the traditional manufacturing belt, have they been able to make that switch and start doing some of the things that Mike described, whether it's nearshoring, whether it's reshoring, whether it's using legal remedies such as the CHIPS Act to begin to bring in the supply chain to a risk management solution? 
Yeah. Look, this isn't a this isn't a turn on a dime kind of a solution, right? It takes a long time. It took a long time to build up the infrastructure for supporting global businesses in China. And it's not going to you can't recreate that overnight. You can't bring it back overnight. You mitigate the risk overnight. So this is a long term project. But I think there's progress being made. There's a, I actually saw an article in the Wall Street Journal a couple of months back that reported 350,000 manufacturing jobs having been returned to the U.S., I think, in 2022. And the other thing that was interesting, that they, they did a survey of earnings calls of public companies, and they found the word reshoring was used 12 times more frequently in the last 12 months than in the prior 12 months. Look, I think we're seeing moves in this direction. I think it's, I don't know how consequential it's going to be right away. I think it's going to take some time, but I think it's starting to happen. The other thing I just wanted to make a, a comment on that, on just on the geography point. I know, Tom, you have an ESG interest in an ESG podcast as well. But I think that some of the ESG considerations and particularly the emissions commitments that companies are making is another force that's going to drive some of this, right? Shipping product across the world emits a lot of carbon. And that that is going to be another factor. Maybe it's not as acute right now as the political piece, but I think that's another force that's going to continue to drive this. In the Trump administration, we saw an increasing, almost exponential increasing use of trade controls and export sanctions under that administration. It continued under the Biden administration. And then the Russian invasion came. And I think I quit counting when we were on our seventh round of sanctions against Russia, Russian oligarchs or Russian related entities. We still have the big one behind us that we haven't levied, which is secondary sanctions yet. But Western Europe has also put out its own rounds of, of trade and export control sanctions. And I wanted to ask the impact that you guys have seen or are seeing from these rounds of trade sanctions against Russia for either your clients or the greater economy. And David, we'll start with you this time. This is really a better question for Mike. I'll just say to set him up, because he, <laughs> he was heavily involved in this stuff in the Trump administration. And when we first started talking about these issues together, his one of his big messages was, I don't think this is really going to, it's one of the few areas where I don't think it's going to change a lot under the new administration. And he's proven to be absolutely right about that. And it's been a real challenge for our clients. Back to the sort of the teaching moment point, Russia's easy. It's going to, it's going to get a lot more complicated. So as hard as this has been, and I think a lot of our clients have been challenged by keeping up and keeping track and trying to do the right thing, complying with the sanctions. I just think I think the worst is yet to come. But I, my, this is a better topic for me. Thanks, David. And, and I tend to agree. I think the lesson that we learned from the use of sanctions, from the use of export controls, starting in the Trump administration, is that when deployed correctly, they work. Take a look at Huawei. Huawei was riding high. It was ingratiating itself with governments around the world and targeted severe export controls, crippled the company. So they work. I think with Russia, what's interesting about the Russia invasion, as David alluded to, it was pretty easy. It was pretty easy because the you know, Russia is not as integrated into the world economy. And so Russia invaded Ukraine. The world 
quickly concluded that it was a moral outrage. The sanctions came down and the clients would come and say, how much of Russia do we need to exit? What can we still be doing in Russia and what can't we be doing? But candidly, most companies came to us and said, how do we get out of here as quickly as humanly possible? And most companies ended up leaving. Many companies had some questions about their own Russian employees, their own Russian subsidiaries, whether they could pay their loyal employees, whether they can help their families, things like that. But it was very much, we're out of here, and how do we save the people who have been loyal to us? And so that was... I don't want to say it was surprising, but that was interesting. The next wave that we saw was companies looking at their broader operations to see whether there were whether there was a I'll call it Russian oligarch money in any of their cap tables just to make sure that they were in compliance with sanctions. So it prompted companies that don't often think about sanctions compliance beyond regular everyday sanctions compliance to go and take a broader look at their company and make sure they were compliant. And so where we are now is companies are sensitized to the impact of export controls, sensitized to the impact of sanctions. And and I think that finally, a lot of companies are waking up to the fact that if the same measures, if these same measures are implemented vis-a-vis China for whatever reason, at whatever time, it's not going to be as easy for companies. If if they were to come down today, it's not going to be as easy for companies to say, we're out of here just the same way they did with Russia. And so I think what we've found, what David and I have found is a lot of people are finally beginning to grapple with the complexity of being intertwined with China in and during a time there could be a complete cutoff at any given time. And so I think those are the issues, the the geopolitical, the legal, the regulatory and national security issues that companies are grappling with today. Often laugh to or probably at some of my friends in trade compliance during the Trump administration when I would call them at 11 a.m. and I said, what's going to happen this afternoon? I think, however, in retrospect, at least from my perspective, the Trump administration increase in trade sanctions really helped prepare us for this time. And it got people, I think, much more nimble, much more agile, much more able to respond. And my other observation after the Russian invasion is it elevated the director of trade compliance inside a corporation to a much higher profile. Now they occasionally access to the board, which they typically didn't have before. And so people are beginning to see these issues at the board level in a much more holistic way. And David's remarks around reshoring as perhaps an ESG opportunity, I think has given us an entirely new, different perspective. Gentlemen, unfortunately, we're near the end of our time for this episode, but I wanted to thank you again. We're going to link to your profiles and the article in our show notes, and I greatly look forward to continuing this conversation. Thanks, Tom. Thank you, Tom. This is Tom Fox. Thank you for listening to this part one of a special two-part episode on the disruptions to the global supply chain. In part two next week, we're going to take a much deeper dive into China and particularly the China-Taiwan upcoming confrontation that David is uh, very concerned about going forward. 
We will look at some of the issues around that and what you can do right now as a compliance professional to help prepare for it. So I hope you'll join us next week for part two of this special two-part episode on disruptions to the global supply chain. I'm thrilled to announce that multiple podcasts on the Compliance Podcast Network were recently awarded W3 awards. All Things Investigations, the Hughes Hubbard podcast was awarded an a silver award for general series law and legal services for podcast because that's what heroes do uh, one for arts and cultures in podcast hidden crime that's Gwen Hassan's podcast one for crime for podcast compliance into the weeds with my good friend Matt Kelly uh, Matt and I won an award for best co-hosts for podcasts And the Hill Country podcast was also honored for arts and culture for podcasts. And then finally, Life with GDPR. That's my podcast with Jonathan Armstrong for professional service for podcasts. And I'm really proud to announce that a gold award was given to Trekking Through Compliance, once again, in arts and culture for podcasts. So the... Compliance Podcast Network continues to garner awards. I hope that you will check out one or more of these podcasts. This is Tom Fox. I hope you'll join me next week on another episode of the FCPA Compliance Report. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.